As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, Luke chapter 20, and also grab your bulletin. As Jack mentioned, the last couple of weeks uh, you have heard from the caches in the maze about this ministry, 912, and the impact that the spending plan has had on their life. They introduced this ministry to me, and Candace to me, and Katie, and I want you to know, I think I needed it. Uh, we live within a budget. We try to live within our means and uh, didn't have much debt by God's grace and really thought, well, maybe because we have our oldest going off to college, you'd help. And I want to tell you, it's really changed our life. It's really changed us to really know what we are to every dime spending. So let me encourage you. There's a limited number of spaces. And if you haven't signed up yet, please do. If we have more than the space allows, we're going to do it again. Because this is an incredible ministry. So we know what we have. So we know what we can give. We know what we can live on. So let me encourage you to that. Wow. Are these not amazing political times in our country? Unbelievable. I'm starting a, a four-week series today on church and culture. Uh, this morning, we're going to tackle church and government. Real easy one. Uh, and see what God is calling us to. But just think about the climate that we are facing right now politically. This week, you've probably heard of a $700 billion bailout for our economy. The question I ask, is that going to do the job? Does anybody else have a hard time trying to wrap their brain around $700 billion? I'm trying to work on this work spending plan on my own, you know? And it's nowhere near $7 billion, and I'm having a hard time. But man, it's an amazing... Uh, number that is being thrown out trying to help our economy. And how about that, that Palin and Biden debate? A hockey mom versus a seasoned uh, a veteran, senator veteran. I grew up playing hockey. Didn't know any hockey moms like that. I just got to tell you. Our city of Orlando uh, mayor, Buddy Dyer, announced plans this week to offer to city employees same-sex benefits. Ready for this one? A group of atheists and agnostics are suing President Bush, the governor of Wisconsin, and others, including Shirley Dobson, over the National Day of Prayer, saying that the National Day of Prayer creates a hostile environment for non-believers who are made to feel like political outsiders. Thus, a lawsuit. How about this amendment, too? How about this? our own state of Florida is going to be voting on an amendment to ban or to say that we believe that legalized marriage is between a man and a woman and basically ban same-sex marriages in Florida. What does the church do with these issues? I know that some of you right now are thinking, oh my goodness, I'm visiting this church and he's talking about politics. Listen, we're going to talk about Jesus. And if you know me, that's all I talk about. But we've got to see that Jesus talks about politics. Because he was faced with it. As a matter of fact, they try to trip him up with it. This question of church and state, this question with Christianity and how does the church handle government, it's not just for our day. We know that. It was true of Jesus' day as well. The debate still rages. And we also, I want to begin here. We got, I want to just say that the church has made big mistakes in this arena. 
We really have. I mean, we, we, we've thought in times past that uh, we have to uh, control government and will kill in his name. Uh, the church has really had some blunders. And throughout history, um, many who don't believe can point to us and say, what are you doing? So we got to approach this very humbly. Uh, we got to approach this with the authority of God's word. Uh, we have to approach this really on our knees and say, God, speak to us. Because there's people who are speaking that have big sticks. There's people who are speaking that are really passionate. And sometimes squeaky wheels get the grease. And sometimes those with the loudest seem to win debates. This is important. Orangewood, family of the living God, this is important. This is affecting your neighbors. This is affecting your life. This is affecting your work environment. What in the world does the church have to do with government? What is our role? At times we've seen the church run away. At times we've seen the church try to dominate. What is Jesus calling us to do when it comes to church and state? We're going to look at two passages. We're going to look to Luke chapter 20, the gospel of Luke, and a story of Jesus being confronted with this issue. And then we're going to turn to the uh, epistle of Romans, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. So these words should appear on the screen, but if you'd like to uh, read along with me, um, please do as I read. But let's all remember, this is God's holy inerrant word. It will not lead us astray. It's useful. It is an ancient book, but it's living and active, and so it speaks. It speaks to even issues like church and state today. Luke chapter 20, verse 20. Keeping a close watch on him, those are his critics, and the him is Jesus, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. Aren't those the worst kind? You know those people that pretend to be uh, sincere? They flatter you as they stab you in the back. Do you have that experience? Jesus had it often. So here's the setting. Those who are going to be cloaked in sincerity are really spies, just there to trip them up, just there to expose them. And they hope to catch Jesus in something that he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies question him. And we're going to see a little bit in a minute who these spies are. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Wow, what a statement. I mean, out of the voice of spies who are insincere, they speak unbelievable truth because this is true of Jesus. An incredible son of the living God who came to speak truth. And he didn't, wasn't a respecter of men. And he spoke it boldly. And although they came with false intentions, they nailed this one out of the park. And I love that God gets glory. And laughing and saying, you guys had another intention, but that is my son. He does speak truth. He does teach the proper way. And so they asked the question, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity as God in flesh And said to them, show me a Daenerys, their coin of the day, whose image and inscription are on it. I love the reality, he didn't even have one. Jesus, who was rich, became poor for our sakes, so that through his poverty we could become rich. Jesus, when asked to produce a coin, had to ask others. And I also love the reality that he's not under anyone's authority other than the Father. So he asks, and he looks at the coin... And he says to them, then 
whose inscription is it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, then give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he said there in public. And astonished by their answer, they went away silent. He has a way to silencing his critics. And by the way, I, if you flip over to chapter two, 22, you'll see that they accused him falsely about this anyway. They were silenced, but they wouldn't let it go. They were burned, but they wouldn't let it go. And they lied about his answer. He turned to Romans, Romans 13. Romans 13, 1 through 7 says this. Tough passage for us, church. Tough passage for each of us. Let everyone be subject, God's word says, to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Did you hear that? According to God's word, there is no authority except which that God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently... Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for ruling authorities do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring judgment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why we, you pay taxes, also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that your son is the wonderful counselor, that he is all wise. That he could see through the duplicity of the spies, those who came to trip him up those who came to try to expose him as a fraud. And Father, you have told us, your son has told us, that we are to render to Caesar, to the government, that which is their due. But we are to render to you that which is your due. And Father, this morning, we render, I render to you, the authority to speak. Father, I have nothing to say on the subject that's new and fresh or that has insight. And I'm not here to share my opinion. You've called me here because in the foolishness of Christ, your design is to speak your message through the broken, through the weak. So here I am. I render to you this pulpit in ministry, this sermon, that you would speak so that we would hear Jesus' words afresh. We need to know what you Spirit of the living God, want us to do as a family here at Orangewood when it comes to church and government. We want to honor you with this question. So come and, and speak to us. Open up our ears so we can hear. There's, there's many here this morning that are tuned to hear church and state things in one frequency. Blow it apart. No matter what side of the fence and what color state we find ourselves, blow it apart so we hear your words. 
Spirit of the living God, come and shine light into our minds. And God, I guarantee you there, there's things that we're holding on to that maybe aren't Christ-centered. Would you show us and give us the boldness to repent? Would you remove our hearts of stone and the sinfulness and the unbelief? And would you give us a heart that beats after your son, Jesus? And God, we need the church to be the church and to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to come and empower our feet to take the truth that you're about to give to us and have us live this out in word and deed in a way that tells your story and your hope. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First question is this, what is the church's role in regards to government? And I love the reality as we wrestle with this age-old question that Jesus is himself is our teacher. Jesus himself is the one we look to And in his earthly ministry, it's a question that he wrestled with as well. Here is the scenario. You have two groups of people. Luke doesn't tell us who they are. We have to find in Matthew and Mark who they are. There's two groups of people, these spies. One are the Pharisees, the religious leaders. As a matter of fact, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, didn't have the backbone to address Jesus himself. They sent their disciples to do their dirty work. So you have some henchmen. Coming in the name of Pharisees, in the name of religion, showing up to question Jesus. And we also find in Matthew and Mark that you have some Herodians, those who are faithful to Herod. King Herod, a half-Jew, who had aligned himself with the government. So you guess who is coming to confront Jesus? Church and state. They're both represented. And by the way, they hate each other. They don't like each other. But... We have a true spiritual warfare that was going on there, then, going on now, that unites enemies together against the cause of Christ. Scary, but true. So here you have some, certainly some strange bedfellows. You have Pharisees, their disciples, Herodians, those who are following Rome, coming to Jesus. You have churches say, here's what it would be like in our day. The ACLU and focus on the family, are coming together to find out this question. Okay? Because the ACLU is just dying to know, is he going to say not pay taxes and jump all over him? And focus on the family saying, is he's not going to say honor God and jump all over him? So here, that's kind of the picture of who you have coming to Jesus. And again, they speak amazing truth, but it was meant just for a trap. Jesus replies this way, render to Caesar's, Caesar, the things that are Caesar's. Render to God the things that are God. Okay, good answer. It silenced them. What does it mean? Let's unpack it a little bit. First thing we do here is is, is this. What do we render to Caesar or the government? And what we render to Caesar or the government is that which has Caesar's image. That's what he looked at the coin. What image is on this? But when we look to Romans 13, 7, or 1 through 7, 7, we just read that, we realize that there's not any authority, not any authority here on earth. Amazing. It's baffling. It's a mystery that has not been established by God. And you get to Romans 13, 7, and talking about the government, it says there's three things that we as Christians, followers of Christ, need to make sure that we are rendering to the government. Honor. Is that an easy one? 
Honor. Well, 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 they don't deserve it. They're crooked. They're backwards. They're cheats. They're selfish. It doesn't say anywhere in the text with a little asterisk if they deserve it. It says honor. Honor. That we as Christians, followers of Christ, loving our God, acknowledging that He's established all authority, He has called us to honor those in authority over us. Obedience. That we are to obey. We obey the laws of the land. We're not to cherry pick them. And which ones we decide to choose to obey and which ones we don't. That we have an authority showing that we believe in God's authority. We submit to them in obedience. Now there's certainly a line to be drawn. Our obedience ultimately, we're going to see this in a minute, goes to our King Jesus. And when the earthly kingdom steps in His place, we obey King Jesus every time. Amen? And I imagine that we won't have a hard time with that. Because if they tell us that it's now not, we have to abort our babies. If they tell us uh, that now that we can only have two children. If the the government steps in to a place that they have no right, then we obey King Jesus. But in every other area, Scripture says, not the government, God says the ultimate rule, we obey. Honor, obedience, and taxes. Taxes. Even taxes. That we are to pay our taxes and uh, be grateful for those who have dedicated their life. And why is this so difficult? Why? Why is it difficult for us to render to Caesars what God says for us to? Because we don't, as sinners, like to have any authority over us. That's the core of our problem of sin. Ever since Adam rebelled and wanted to run from God and have his own way, we too, that corruption in nature has been passed to us. We don't like authority over us. Do you like it? Do your kids like it? We don't like someone telling us what we are to do. But I love what Scripture says. It says we are honoring God by honoring and obeying the government. All authority, listen to this, all authority has been placed there by God. Your employer. Your teachers, students. Your parents. Your parents. If all authority, all authority is established by God, that household is established by God. And we are to bring honor to them. Parents and kids alike. I want to talk to parents for a minute. Kids, you heard that, hopefully. Students, your parents are there by design. They're going to have to stand before God and give an account someday. But your job is to honor them. Your job is to obey them. Not to argue, not to say it doesn't make sense, not to say my way's better. That's the way God has intended it for us because we're under authority and so should you be. Parents, let's talk to you a little bit. How do we live our lives before our children? Are we living this out? Are they seeing duplicity in our own lives? Are we picking and choosing the laws that we are okay with? Are we just obeying that which meets our needs? is comfortable with our lifestyle. Do our children see incredible duplicity that we're cherry-picking the rules? By God's grace, we need to be men and women of God that believe that all authority has been established by God. We bring Him honor. We bring Him glory by submitting. 
We are under the headship of Christ. And this is acknowledging it. And we got to get away with this arrogance that we know the rules better than others. And we're just going to live the way we want to live. No authority that, has been, that God has established, um, we should just pass aside. we got to submit to authority. Because here's what we do. Here's as simple as I can say it. As you submit to authority and government, you're submitting to Jesus. According to Scripture. Let's talk a minute about the election. Do you think that Jesus is wringing his hands in heaven about this election? You think he's scared to death? You think he's counting blue and red states? You think he's trying to add up the electoral votes and just wondering what's happening? Is he eternal? Is he almighty? Is he king of kings? Does he not take kings and put them in power and remove them? Is this not our mighty, almighty God? He is not wringing his hands. He's not. He's in control. There's a mystery with that. But I guarantee you, he's not worried about the election. He knows what's going to happen. And he's calling his people to obey his voice and respond to him. His will will be done. There's a mystery there, I know. But we got to live in light of the reality that he is in control of every molecule in the universe. That's our hope. That's our security. That's our joy. And that he is in control. So the sin behind this is this. The sin behind uh, is our unwillingness to uh, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars. Because we don't want to render to anybody anything. Because we want to be God. It's true. Come come on. I know you're saying, well, it's a little bit hyperbole, isn't it, Jeff? But do we really like to render authority to others? Whether it be taxes? How about the authority of tithing? Do we really trust God saying, okay, God, your word says uh, the authority being placed over us that we're to tithe 10%? We don't like having someone tell us what to do. We live, you know, it's amazing. I, I look around culture, and isn't it true that we live our lives as if the government owes us something? And like, like, like we're entitled to something, a handout, or I don't know. But it seems like we've fallen right into that, that mindset that the government owes us something. And really, we've got to realize that they're here for our protection, and the government doesn't owe us anything. We don't look to the government for any. Do, uh, Christians, should we look to the government for the bailout? I mean, should we look to the government for anything that God's going to provide? Is, is that not idolatry? Is that not a slam in his face? I mean, as Christians, we pray to God for our daily bread. We pray to God for his kingdom to come. He is our provider. He is our Lord. He is our king. We look to him alone. And as Christians, we should never let the government do what we should be doing. And that is caring for the broken, caring for the needy, caring for the homeless. We argue so much in government if you're on this side or that side. I mean, whose job is it? A big government, small government? Those are secondary questions. The question is, the church of Jesus Christ responding in love and mercy to a broken world. We are God's A plan. We are the ones that he's raising up. Not a bailout plan. Not a Republican. Not a Democrat. It's the church of Christ. Showing the love of Christ in word and deed. It's the hope of the world. Taking the gospel to our friends and neighbors in great need. Is that not true? So if we're looking to the, the government to do what we do, we've missed it. We honor them. We obey them. We pay our taxes, but we don't let them stand in our way of showing the love of Christ. And ministering to those in need. 
It says, what we do? Well, we need to render to God what is God, that which has God's image on it. What an incredible answer Jesus gives. Let me see this coin. Okay, whose image? It's Caesar's. Render to him what is Caesar's. But hey, whose image do we have? Whose image is on our soul and our body and our whole lives? Whose image? We're in God's image. You know what he's saying to us by saying, render unto God that which is God? Guess what that is? It's you and it's me. It's our body and our soul. It's our whole being. Oh yeah, sir, give the Caesars what is Caesars. But render to God what is God's and his image bearers of the holy God. We are to render all we have for him. What, do we, what cannot we render? We cannot render our worship to another, not even ourselves. Our worship belongs to God and God alone. Romans 12, 1 says we need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is true worship. True worship happens here, but it happens when we just go out these doors and live our lives for the glory of Christ. Our lives are to be living sacrifices, worshiping Jesus. We will never should never render our worship to another, not even ourselves. And again, it's like we sometimes act like the government owes us something. Don't we act sometimes like God owes us something? As if we, he was made in our image. God, you, you owe me. God, you owe me better than this. We can never render our allegiance to another. We need to, as Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his agenda first, and all these things will be added unto you. Can I ask, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you prayed that God would help out the economy this week? I mean, how many of you really said, God, let me just seek you first with this? And, and all these things, are we seeking first the kingdom of God? Is our allegiance first and foremost there into his church, or is it to a political party? I mean, we, we represent a king who is eternal. And our agenda, our allegiance has to be His. Are we really on His agenda? I mean, see, listen, we can ask ourselves that question with your time, your talent, your treasure. Are you living for Him or not? I mean, are we really seeking first His kingdom as His children? There should be a market, listen, there should be a market difference, family of Orangewood. The way we live our lives, the way the world does. The way we serve our King, the way we obey even the laws of the state. There should be a marked difference. Why? Because we're His. And our allegiance is to King Jesus. And first and foremost, in all that we do, in all that we say, in our jobs, in our families, in our private lives, we're going to seek Jesus, Christ and his kingdom first. We can't render our hope. Does anybody believe that a $70 billion bailout is our hope? God forbid. We can never render our hope. How many of us are looking to God to really bring us hope and stability? Right now, I mean, what's our prayer life like? I mean, our 401ks are a mess. Our jobs are, are teetering. Our economy's a mess. Is, where's our hope? Is our hope in Congress bailing us out? Is our hope in a new president coming out with a great new plan and agenda? And I hope all those things work. But listen, our hope is in Christ. Amen? Amen. Scripture says in Psalm 25, 5, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God and my Savior. My hope is in you, God, all day long. My hope, your hope, needs to be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Why? In conclusion, because His own Son, Jesus, has restored God's image for us. 
Here's the story, the gospel. It's an incredible story. We have to render all to God because we're in his image. But we marred it with sin. We separate ourselves from him with sin. So God's own son came in our image as an exact representation, as exactly man. He came to render to the Father what you and I failed to render. Obedience. Perfect obedience. Jesus came in the image of man, fully man, to do that which man and woman had failed to do and obey and honor and live for Him. And He did it so that righteousness could be complete and the law could be fulfilled. And then He rendered to the Father the death that we deserve for being rebellious sons and daughters. And He rendered a sacrifice that the Father completely accepted so that we can have peace with God. So that we can be ushered into the Father's presence as sons and daughters of the living God. God became the image of man. And Jesus forever will be both fully God and fully man interceding for us now that He has bridged the two together. And that is our hope, church. That is our life, church. That is our identity, church. That is our security. That is our joy. Do you know it? And when it comes to church and state, yes, we obey. Yes, we pay our taxes. Yes, we give honor. But we first and foremost give it to Jesus. And He is our hope. He is our King. He is our mighty fortress. I love at the end that Peter says in his epistle, 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 3.15, that we, church, need to be ready to share our hope. People are going to ask you, what do you think of the economy? People are going to ask you, how's your 401k? People are going to ask you, how's your job? People are going to ask you, how's your family? And now's the chance to say, hey, you know what? I'm scared like everybody, but my hope's not there. My hope's not in the bailout. What do you think of the bailout? What do you think of the election? A great opportunity to say, give them an answer that has real hope. My hope is built on Jesus. By God's grace, I know his son. And I know the security in life that comes from him. And that's my hope. Not in a bailout. Not in a new election. My my hope is in Christ. Is yours? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son who came in our image, who tasted our tears, who knew our weakness and pain, was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So that he can be completely obedient to you. So that we can be accepted and beautiful in your sight. Thank you that he rendered to you a sacrifice that you accepted. And we know you did because the tomb was empty. And we know that death no longer reigns, but life does. We now have a living hope in Christ. And our hope is not in an election, in a government bailout, or in Wall Street, or anything else. Our hope is in you. And where it's not, kick that, those away from us that we have built our lives on. And may it be built on nothing but Christ. Father, for the man, woman, or child that is yet to put their living hope in Christ, would you come? And God, would you become their Lord and Savior through Jesus even today. May they put their hope and rest in Christ alone. And for the rest of us, Father, may we be the church. May we be the church in a way that tells this needy, dying world the truth that our hope is a living hope in Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.